This episode of our This Week in XR podcast is sponsored by Zapper. Zapper is one of the world's leading XR companies. Over the past 12 years, they've won numerous awards for memorable campaigns. They've democratized AR by making tools and SDKs that anyone can use. And they created Zapbox, the world's most affordable mixed reality headset. Most recently, Zapper worked with Unilever to create an enhanced QR code called Accessible QR, which enables packaged goods to speak to the blind and partially sighted. If you're thinking XR, give the team at Zapper a call or visit Zapper.com to see how they can help you on your XR journey. Good morning, everybody. I'm Charlie Fink with Ted Chilowitz and Roni Abovitz. It's a December 22nd, 2023, and it's This Week in XR. Today, our guest is Sarah Hill, the founder and CEO of Helium. Sarah was guest number one, Ted. Guest mm. number one in the summer of 2020 when we started off with this harebrained idea to do a podcast inside of VR, which <laughs> quickly became just a regular podcast. And so here we are four years later, welcoming Sarah back. And of course, we have Roni with us as a co-host now. So uh, I'm wow. excited to chat with her both uh, uh, about the podcast and what's happened in the past four years, but also her company Helium, which uh, now counts among others, the Mayo Clinic among its investors. And it's for uh, brainwave training. And she'll she'll tell us about it. It's it's a pretty exciting new technology uh, that will be uh, hailed as an overnight success, but will, of course, have taken 10 years. Yeah, so, we, uh, we should go back in time and listen to what we sounded like and thought the world was going to be like four years ago when we had Sarah on and uh, and see how we've evolved. Oh, and yeah. You know, I've never, I've never, I've never listened to a four-year-old show. Have you? Yeah, me neither. It's, no, it just, you know, it just sort of struck me as you sort of mentioned it. And like, wow, it'd be interesting to go back in time and see how it affected, how, how, you know, how everything has affected everything. That's very interesting. So not a big news week this week, which should be a, a surprise to nobody. Um, finally. Uh, the news is is uh, calming down, even though CES, the consumer, what used to be called the Consumer Electronics Show, uh, is around the corner. Uh, we can talk about that. But a story broke last Friday, <clears throat> and I'm surprised it didn't get more play. Um, when OpenAI shuts down ByteDance's access to uh, to its API via the Azure cloud because they were accused, according to Alex Heath of The Verge, of using OpenAI to train their own large language model, uh, which is a, a big no-no. Uh, not exactly illegal, I guess, but it's a big violation of the terms of service, and uh, they were promptly shut down. So I'm looking for more on this, but it does play into a frequent theme, and one I know, Roni, you feel very passionately about, which the people... ByteDance is not an honest company. Well, let, let me uh, let, let me jump on that one, Charlie. It's like you throw the grenade on the floor. Um, I, th I think it's important for I'm gonna I'm gonna change this from ByteDance to U.S. China. There's a bigger picture of U.S. and West technology and how China's ascending and becoming a superpower and is a superpower and its attitude about the importation of technology the copy paste and even theft of technology. Um, and it, and if you want to turn a blind eye and think that China is not actively pursuing like American tech and IP, 
you have no idea what you're talking about. Um, so I would say ByteDance is a manifestation of one of the many Mirad ways they approach increasing their own technical capability through almost any means. Um, and this is something the U.S. has been very, I would say, poor and slow to respond to. Um, and as someone who's built tech companies that has had to weather uh, sort of these like nation state attacks, uh, what it feels like is being um, like a, a pioneer uh, in a fort attacked from all sides and the government doesn't do a lot to help you. Um, here you've got Microsoft, which is gigantic, and OpenAI, which is sizable, that they're able to kind of summon their own capabilities to understand what a nation state is doing to them and going, wait, this is your one way you are trying to import our proprietary IP to yourself. But there's thousands of ways. If you actually go down the rabbit hole and you do the diligence and do some of the work to understand how uh, China, North Korea, Iran, and others actually try to siphon away American IP and technology and Western IP and tech, it's, it's pretty intense. Um, and I think this is an example of that. Uh, probably even benign relative to other things I've actually seen. So uh, it it is interesting, like why our government, the United States government, does not act more proactively uh, and more intensely to sort of protect U.S. companies and and the original things we do. And by the way, protect any company. If you're a Chinese company, invent your own stuff. You file your own IP, great. But if if your business model is to copy, steal, paste, trade theft, that's not the way the world should operate. It's not a fair system, uh, and we need and we need ways to really protect that. And we've sort of turned a blind eye because we want that Chinese market. And this has sort of been a weird back and forth between the governments. Sorry about the diatribe, but I think this whole ByteDance thing is one little example of a much bigger problem going on. Ted, great to hear your take on it. Well, here's a here's a take on that take. As you were talking, <laughs> I was uh, quickly looking up uh, one of the largely considered most failed albums in all of rock history as compared to this particular band's previous efforts, which were considered shocking and stunning successes. And that album was called Chinese Democracy. From <laughs> Guns and Roses, Roses. baby. <laughs> uh, I was just looking it up. Came out November 23rd, 2008, which was a very auspicious time in the United States. Hey, Axel, uh, if you're listening to us, we love you, man. We do. And <laughs> the reason I brought this up was as you were talking about the the conceptualization, and this is from someone who's been to China many, many times. I have logged, you know, certainly not as many hours living in the United States as being in China, but damn close. I spent a lot of time in Asia and a lot of time in China over the years. Uh, and there is a version of what we refer to as Chinese democracy. Uh, and what I'm reflecting on is AI in general, generative AI in general, and its tenants and its attempts to kind of eat the world um, are a version of Chinese democracy because they have less care for rights and clearances and ownership as a sort of core tenant, which gets into this interesting philosophical discussion of intellectual property versus inspiration. But Chinese culture, aka Chinese democracy, tends to lean into this more open, steal it, fake it till you make it kind of culture based on their long history of oppression and fighting against oppression. And their idea of capitalism is a skewed to our idea of capitalism and is actually, uh, it would be interesting to see if others that really study this way more than I do, 
in, in many ways, it aligns a lot with the concepts of what AI is doing, which is it's all a little fuzzy and we don't exactly know who owns what. So we're just going to kind of go for it and let the chips fall where they may. And I think that's a bit what ByteDance did, which is kind of why they're probably like, in their perspective, we didn't steal anything. What are you talking well, about? AI I think just allows what, us to do this. What makes this different is the internal communications that Alex got his hands on, which you know include ByteDance employees talking to each other on company message boards about how to properly, uh, uh, what what is the phrase that he used? Um, data wash uh, things so that they can't be traced and uh you know sort of being very open about it within the company so uh, which hey, is Charlie, evidence- let's be even-handed though hang on a second yeah the data that open ai has accumulated i'm glad you brought this us, up. the the data that's from all point. of us i know that's I'm the sorry, irony, is, irony of this. If you got like one stealing from the thief <laughs> so it's like true. hang on a second like let's it's just true. let's make this but yeah, I think, the other piece, which which Ted hinted on, which is really key, if you if you, and it really opened my eyes visiting. Um, uh, this is like years back at Mako, like vi- visiting over there, um, that the culture is one of sharing and passing on. So, copying and it's not thought of as copying and stealing. It's like constant improvement amongst the population. So there correct. isn't this proprietary. I own it. It's like share, and you can and you can work on it and add it. So it's a collective mindset, which. Ted, you were hinting at is like a giant AI brain. They've been operating like a giant analog AI brain, and that's the irony of it. So this is a classic example of Chinese democracy. And AI, in many ways, is a classic example of Chinese democracy. So take it for what it's worth, guys. Uh, You know, it's worth studying. It's philosophical. Meanwhile, meanwhile, all our kids are on TikTok, right? Um, all right, move, move, moving on from, from (laughs) pet, pet peeve. We'll come back to this. I have a feeling soon. Um, so this week on display, there were a lot of contrasting views about the state of XR as we are entering the next year. We're certainly going to see uh, at CES where things kind of stand. It's a good marker for that, uh, what the year is going to bring and also what the companies are feeling about themselves and their prospects. So, uh, you know, last year, CES was all about the metaverse. I don't think anybody's going to say that word this year. Uh, everybody was sort of started. The AI thing was starting last year. It's going to be all about AI this year. And I think that's one of XR's big problems is that um, AI has just sucked all the air out of the room. It seems like super not relevant <laughs> when you're talking about something as big as AI. You also have some very weird things happening with the numbers, partly because of the transition from the Quest 2, which people stopped buying, to the Quest 3, which is seeing some, I guess, decent but not sort of unbelievable pickup. Uh, So, you know, that made 2023 look like a really bad year, maybe worse than it really was. But it also shows that we're not growing very fast. Uh, IDC says because of that, 2024 is going to look really good. Uh, So we'll see. Is AR, VR up or down, or in particular VR? um, You know, uh, Sony is not sharing any information about PlayStation 2 sales. Um, You know, I think critics liked it well enough, uh, as much as certainly the PlayStation 1 got. But I don't know. I don't know. know, uh... Microsoft, I mean, I think it was capped off. The week week of pessimism was capped off by 
uh, Windows, Microsoft announcing that Windows MR is no more. Uh, and it looks like the Army deal and the HoloLens are uh, a thing of the past as uh, Satya is no longer hugging um, Kipman on stage at Mobile World Congress, but instead he's hanging out with Sam. You know, and it's just Charlie, over. can we can we say this, though? Everything around this industry is, is, is now centered around Apple's launch next year of, of basically Vision Pro. All the other stuff is getting dusted, which Apple likes because it's like Vision Pro forward. That's why 24 will work because everyone is like nothing matters until they ship. And then everyone will copy around Apple for the next 10 years. That's that's the mindset of consumer electronics. If you guys think differently, but I think that's why this year sucked because Apple showed up and said, we're putting out Vision Pro in 24. Nothing else matters until we ship. And that's why 23 sucks. I don't know, Ted, if you've got a different view, Charlie, but well, I think me, that's what's going on. Apparently today is my day to wax philosophically. <laughs> So it's the end of the year. Ted waxes philosophically. So, um, and I've mentioned my philosophy on this podcast and many other things that I've done, you know, speaking gigs around the state of virtual reality, mixed reality, and it, it is essentially the thesis that you cannot artificially try and bring something into mass market acceptance and use case. Um, as you know, I'm super bullish on virtual reality, mixed reality. I was super bullish on what you were doing with Magic Leap, Roni, and super bullish around technological advancements, right? I've kind of made a, a little bit of a career about it. But I also have a very high sense of recognition, maybe because of my kind of life in this world of technology, that just throwing money at a sector and overwhelming dollars at a sector to try and force it into the belief structure that it's going to be really big, really fast is often a recipe for disaster. And I look at things in the technological sector that started off with small nuggets and then grew organically into things that are humongous, right? The internet at large is one of those things. YouTube is one of those things. Cellular communications is one of those things. Cable television is one of those things. Television as an entity is one of those things, right? They didn't have one or two quote unquote tech giants trying to just throw huge amounts of capital to try and force a market into existence. Markets come into existence because there's a genuine need and desire which Charlie, you and I talk about all the time, about where are the real hit spots? Where are the veins of success of virtual reality and mixed reality? And there are many, many of them that are very legitimately valuable, right-sized businesses. But VR is not as big as television yet and may never be. VR is not as big as the internet in all of its forms yet and likely will never be. Um, the metaverse as a terminology is not as big as what we commonly refer to as all things internet related, which we now you know, have the transition from what we like to call web two to web three. The metaverse is a vein of that. It cannot be forced into a larger existence than people actually want or need, right? And virtual reality, I feel, is more exotic than people realize. And I think about it every time. I put on a headset a lot still. I did a lot of, uh, of Golf Plus yesterday because it was pouring rain uh, yeah. <laughs> in LA. So I was in Golf Plus for a couple of hours. But I also know that's not an everyday thing, even for me, right? That's someone that's supposed to be doing this for a living. Um, so I think at some point, and I might, it's a good example of what Microsoft is doing by essentially killing off Altspace a year ago and now sort of doing another pullback on this 
is they're smart enough to realize that they over they 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 got over their skis, they overshot what they thought the market would be. And now the business people at Microsoft are kind of like, all right, well, you know what, that didn't work or it didn't work yet. So let's pull back and and reorganize. And I think the HoloLens is a perfect example of that in many ways, right? And Roni Magic Leap is a perfect example of that in many ways for all the Oof. success that you created and all the push that you put into the world. It just wasn't ready for that organic growth cycle yet. Um, so I, I don't know if you guys agree or disagree. But well, that's I think, you know, I know we, we, we often talk about patterns in company behavior, and there's certainly one in Microsoft in that they don't cry over spilled milk, right? They mm -hmm. bought Nokia. 18 months later, they shut down, shut it down. It cost them $8 billion or, or something like that. And uh, so I, it wouldn't surprise me if they just sort of said, you know what, bad, good technology, good learning, bad timing. We're moving on to AI. See a HoloLens. We'll talk to you in 10 years. Yeah. And the interesting story about Nokia, it's a great one to bring up, is that part of Nokia, the Windows phone, didn't work, organically didn't grow. But Nokia as a company is stunningly successful at what they do and continue to be in the underpinnings of right. 3G, 4G, 5G communications and forms of the internet. Uh, and people don't talk about that as much because it's not sexy. It's not consumer facing. Right. But a lot of companies that exist in this world never had that massive you know, consumer track. They just live underneath the covers. Look at who maybe is the most successful company in virtual, virtual reality. It's maybe Qualcomm. By selling chips to every right. manufacturer, well, right. well that's a same same uh, story. Nvidia and AI. Exactly, and that's what and I was going to say. Um, okay, can I, can I wax philosophical for one let, second? Let me let me just okay. just make one point, and then we'll go to you and, and bring Sarah in. I, I think what's changed in my view of this is I don't think that uh, the wearable headset is going to be the successor to mobile. I thought that I thought that like five years ago. I have to say I, I was pretty sincere in that belief, but I actually don't think that's true anymore. Maybe it's because it's taking so long, but maybe it's not exactly the right form factor. Amazing technology, but is it going to replace phones? I just I, I don't see it. There's too much friction, too much expense. The technology is too hard. I do think assistive, augmentative things like Ray-Ban stories, maybe. Um, but you know, display all day, every day, display glasses. I, I'm just not a believer anymore. Sorry. Go ahead, Ronnie. Let, let, let me, uh, I'll, I'll just philosophically disagree with you, but, but semi agree. One, I think the issue with this whole field is where on the timeline are we, uh, computing is a timeline from the 1940s on and personal computing, uh, moving from servers to the big PC on your desk, to the laptop, to the mobile laptop, to the phone. If you look at that, we kind of thought XR might have been further down the line, um, but things move fast and slow. So there's like, we're really on the curve. But I think one of the ways to identify where we are on the curve is like, what are the characteristics? And, and Charlie, this is sort of a debate we can keep having, not right now. Um, I think the all day, every day requires radical change in form factor until it hits like Oakley size, no wire, lightweight. Yeah. Uh, all the all the goodness that you want, then then it hits it. Until then, you just have yeah. adoption. So That's maybe like, I'm just cynical about the timeline because what you're talking about is like but Sarah's 10, 20 here. Years. Let's, let's yes. bring Sarah in. Sarah, so good to see you. You are always and always will be guest number one. Hey, I was happy to be your first. So you know, this is a great <laughs> nerdy playdate, as I, I call it, and it's always good to see you. 
we're we'll, we'll very think. excited to see you as we as we move into 2024. And Charlie recalled that it was four years ago that we had you on in this crazy experiment. That July 2020. We had no idea how long it would last, uh, and it's lasted for four years. And you were the very first guest. <laughs> and we're, we're still surviving um, yeah. in, in that those industries. So that's that's great. That is actually true. So tell us how Helium is surviving. I think the last time we mentioned your story, you were um, getting an investment from Mayo Clinic. Yes, uh, in, investment from Mayo. Um, and also, you know, new sales channel partners. And essentially for your listenership who isn't familiar, Helium is an immersive media channel, either in regular flat video or in immersive media that's powered by your body's electricity. So anything that captures data, um, uh, our technology turns it into media and, and makes it reactive to you. And so, uh, yes, that's exciting. And, and uh, you know, this is a mental health emergency right now, right? Since uh, the, not only the aftermath of the pandemic, uh, but for companies and the aftermath of the Silicon Valley bank collapse, we have a lot of trauma going on in the world. So, you know, uh, Helium's uniquely positioned to provide a drug-free coping mechanism to, to quickly downshift shift the nervous system. But, so wait, yeah, so wait how, tell, us, tell us how that works. How does the Helium do that? So via media. Uh, my background is as the television journalist. Uh, spent, uh, you know, long time covering trauma, rapes, murders, homicides. We went in with the trauma teams in the aftermath of the tsunami in Sri Lanka and in, in, in Indonesia and, you know, developed these tools for the people that I covered. Um, you know, we, we had to cover the worst day of their lives a lot of times, as well as for me. Um, and, you know, anyone else who wants to feel better and, uh, you know, find a, a drug-free way to to downshift their, their nervous system. Uh, and so, um, yeah, these are digiceuticals, uh, drug-free solutions, not a replacement for psychotropic medication or professional counseling, which we all know, um, you know, has value uh, to some individuals. Uh, this is a fitness tool and a way that you can actually see your feelings or your heart rate that comes from any fitness tracker, uh, that we can turn that bio data into assets instead of being a flat number on your wrist. It's spatial, it, it's set out into the world and you can actually see it and, and learn to control it. Got and you. In the four years that uh, we've been tracking, um, certainly you know the world has gone through massive change. Uh, we are not through, not, not likely ever through what has become this new virus that now lives with us in various ways. It's springing itself back up again uh, in various forms. Um, certainly, you know, the vaccines have uh, removed it from a uh, sort of death-oriented, many people are dying world to something more evolved and better than that, although not perfect. Um, where have you gone in that in that sort of four year span as a company uh, in terms of your success and and growth and uh, you know beyond the Mayo Clinic who else is sort of involved in it and and then maybe the second part of the question is how do people find it how do they deploy it and is there an individual cost or is it absorbed by the health providers and the insurance companies? So first off, it's used in areas of stress, things that suck that we all have to go through, right? Areas of acute situational or confined stress. 
So you'll find v uh, helium in a number of VA hospitals around the nation. Um, other enterprises, healthcare institutions are, are using it for nurses for compassion fatigue. And um, entities are realizing that when you reduce and give people tools to learn to self-regulate, that improves human performance. And if we've learned anything in the aftermath of the pandemic is that we all need self-coping mechanisms and that you know, just as you work out your body to reduce the, the likelihood that you need to go to the doctor, the same tools need to be out there um, for you to do the same thing with your mind. And you need not just one digestitical in your quote unquote medicine cabinet, you need an arsenal, right? And so, um, uh, you know, that narrative around men mental wellness, we lose 20 veterans a day to suicide, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, what we're seeing is a mental health emergency coming back on the heels of, of the pandemic. And helium, you know, is one of the tools that, that we all need in, in our digital medicine cabinet. And Sarah, you a question for you. Your employer or healthcare organization or on our site. Sarah, question for you. I wasn't here on your first podcast, so congrats. Um, I, I'm like the later added guest host. Um, but one, I would definitely, a question and a comment. Um, I, I'm very much aware of some, I would say, massive capital that's going to get behind cognitive neural health and neuroscience. So I won't go into any detail. Um, using using other means like software based and things like that, like Adam Ghazali played with that at UCSF, and I think there's a there's a really interesting movement there. So I would definitely implore you to stay the course because I think you're going to see a really interesting shift. It's a gigantic unmet need, and a lot of pharmaceuticals don't really do the job well. So there's something really interesting you're on. The question I have for you is, how did you pick this? This may be one of the biggest use cases of XR. Um, as it becomes more validated and as people start to tune that it really is a brain-computer interface, which I think you dived into early, what got you to thinking that? Because uh, it's, it's, it is a BCI, and you recognize that. Um, how, did you, how did you arrive there? So it was not a linear path. It started with a group of, of veterans, terminally ill and aging World War II vets. They weren't able to physically travel to see their memorials in Washington, D.C., one of my beats as a reporter was covering these veterans, and um, we needed a tool that would allow them to feel like they were on what's called an honor flight at their World War II Vietnam Korea Memorial, even though they weren't there. And so, you know, back in the early days, gosh, in uh, 2013 with Google Cardboard, right? Was it that? Yeah, holy cow, we're old. 2013, we started giving virtual tours to a group of these uh, veterans who weren't able to physically travel and noticed that VR was impacting their physiology. They took off the, the headset or the cardboard and they said, hey, I like how I felt. Can I watch that again? Mm -hmm. And Google Glass back in 2013 was the first ways that we were live streaming these tours back to these veterans. Obviously, uh, you know, we needed a better way that was scalable, uh, that we didn't have to have a live person live streaming from their face every time. 
And so uh, we started doing brain maps on individuals to see how this kind of media impacted their physiology and can we create it in a very specific way that can impact their alpha, beta, theta, gamma um, brain patterns. And then the answer to that is, yes, you can. In eight peer-reviewed journals, significant you know, reductions in um, the stress reaction, the fast activity in the brain, mood improvement, anxiety, self-report, and also quantitative data via full you know, EEG brain scan maps. And so what we quickly discovered, and, and my background as a media technologist, was you know, these assets it aren't just for entertainment or travel they actually have the ability to impact physiology. And so we started integrating biosensors, um, you know, any biosensor that's out there. And our technology and tools lives between the bio data and the media asset, and then changes that asset um, according to the, the, the bio data. So we maybe should just for the listener's reference point, because as you're talking, if in real time, they're listening to it and they're searching around trying to find it, uh, helium, your company is not spelled the same way as the <laughs> gas that goes in balloons and makes your voice high. It's heal as in healing, H-E-A-L-E-M.com, correct? Uh, and um, the so, so that's how you find it. It's heal E-M, like the, the, the phrase that way. Yeah, it's uh, actually try, try, try helium. Mm -hmm. Yeah, heal is a root word, yep. There you go. So the website's trihelium.com in that H-E-A-L um, form. Uh, and uh, you're, you're very, and Charlie and I and, and, and Roni were just talking about this in terms of right size applications for virtual reality, because still to this day, you're, you're a, still a very VR centric company, right? I mean, using biosensors uh, on the head and then watches and all kinds of other things to track all the feedback that exists as an ecosystem of products. Uh, but primarily your device uh, for this forms of therapy and, and rebuilding back neural pathways and so forth is using virtual reality headsets, right? Which you've seen in four years have evolved um, quite interestingly and, nat and naturally for your benefit as well, correct? So we are a software company. We don't make any headsets or we don't make the, the fitness trackers. And we're medium agnostic. So Helium, you can find it on your mobile device and flat video. Uh, you can find it in immersive uh, media. Uh, you know, we're on wherever video is, uh, that's that's where he Helium is. And, you know, going forward in the future with the Humane AI pin, um, you know, any any place that has has media, uh, you know, you could also power that media and make it, you know, reactive with Helium's tools. And it's not just a content channel. But also creators also have the ability to upload their content to Helium and it can add those biofeedback and neurofeedback integrations for them. And then they can get a, uh, a readout of how did that uh, piece of media impact uh, brain patterns or, or heart rate. So, you know, these tools are valuable in learning to self-regulate. Um, but they're also valuable for creators as well to be able to know how is their impact, how is their particular story or media uh, in, impacting brain patterns or, or heart rate biodata signals. 
Why did why did I think there was like a band that detected your brainwaves or was it? Am I misremembering it or is it? No, a I think that's right. I think yeah. that's part of the. System. But it's a any it, we work with any uh, third party wearable. Got so uh, EEG headbands, right? Um, and not a lot of people have EEG headbands, and so we bundle them together with our product to make it easy for the the consumer. Uh, I see. Yeah, but there's there are installed use, user uh, bases of Apple Watches. Helium works with Apple Watch. Um, we recently onboarded the Samsung uh, Galaxy Watch. There's you know large nice. use of instant, uh, in, uh, Samsung Galaxy Watch. So uh, we don't make any of the hardware. We are a media channel that's Understood. powered by your body's electricity. So do you have competitors? Who would you consider your competitors? I know there are many sort of relaxation and uh, you know, uh, self-care apps. Uh, there's there's a trip which is doing immersive stuff for mental health care and self-care. So so who what, what competitive set are you in and what products are do, do you consider to be <clears throat> your main competitors and and or or successful companies that you emulate? So first and foremost, um, competitors are also uh, you know, uh, you don't need just one, right? You no, need of course, a bunch right. of them because they all do different things. And, and by the way, I always think competitors is a good thing because it shows you're in a growing Absolutely. category with a big audience and, uh, you know, one that, that can support multiple companies. So I view all of that as a positive. If you're out there by yourself, you're either going to get killed or you're going to remake the world. Right. <laughs> yeah. So you might think of Helium like a future headspace or calm. Uh, right, that's connected, and that's our unique, you know, value proposition. You aren't just passively watching this media; you're reacting to it. And then, you know, those those creators also have the ability to, um, you know, allow the the media to be reactive to them. Uh, but the greatest competitor um, is, you know, the ability to close your eyes, right, and and meditate. Um, and there are different, a variety of different flavors of, of meditation. Um, helium is just one of them. And instead of close your eyes and meditate, which certainly has value for people, this is open your eyes and see your own brain patterns or heart rate displayed and, and personified into something you can actually learn to control. And I think that's really going to be the shift in, in meditation uh, going forward in you know the coming years are these biodata signals that are being baked into easy to access uh, modalities like earbuds, right? Um, EEG is already being baked into mm. earbuds. You don't you know always just have to have a headband on your forehead or even a smartwatch on your wrist. It's coming into our fabrics. And so, mm. you know, we live in between that wearable um, mm. and, and the media asset in, you know, being that tool that allows people to, to self-regulate. But Calm, Headspace, you know, a lot trip, a lot of companies are, are doing very pioneering work in this space. And, you know, we don't just have the ability to provide the content. We can also equip other creators with our tools that can allow them to do the same thing. Sarah, are you, um, uh, whatever you can tell us about it, are you looking at the Apple Vision Pro? Because uh, I'm just imagining, um, and, and obviously read about Helium, know about it, what you're doing on a device that's going to be appealing to um, like a higher end user, 
who probably maps to a lot of the things that Helium's about with like their visual quality and sound quality, which will probably be best in class. Like I'm wondering, does that offer a sea shift for Helium? Does it maybe open a door to become mainstream? We're excited about all of the new headsets that are coming out, certainly about um, AVP. Um, you know, anything that allows people to more easily immerse themselves uh, in media is a good thing because we know that immersive media impacts brain patterns and heart rate more significantly than regular 2D and flat media. So um, we're excited about all of, of the, the future tools um, and, you know, goggles that are that are coming out, Apple being one of them. Yeah, that was that that was going to kind of drift into my question too, Roni. In terms of when you when you started on this journey, um, was it was your passion more about and your belief structure more about uh, the idea that immersive media that you know putting something on and it sort of taking over your your visual spectrum um, would be the the really the, the 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 thing that unlocks the power of this? And did you evolve into a more neutral kind of media stance that you're a media-based company delivering this on whatever device people have, regardless of, you know, because I think we often view like phones as distractions and problematic in terms of relaxation, but you're maybe finding a different path that 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 it can exist in in both forms. But in terms of your journey, your personal journey or your, your co-founder's journey, your company's journey, did you start it as a VR-centric oriented company and then evolve it into a more neutral stance? Or did you always have this kind of idea that your goal set was going to be, it's a media company that's designed to find this therapeutic benefit and you didn't really care how how it got delivered? That's a curiosity for me. So it started actually with Glass, right? That was the first media platform that we uh, would live stream from our face, essentially at these, these different memorials, um, and then discovered uh, VR, uh, became a VR company and um, realized that, you know, the the power of immersive media compared to flat media. Um, and, you know, we work on, we don't consider ourselves a, a VR company, we consider ourselves a, a media company because that line, specifically with what new hardware providers are coming out is blurring, Right. That line between the flat world and the, and the immersive world is very quickly, uh, uh, you have the, the, the ability to very quickly go in and out of that uh, now. And so, um, you know, we're ambidextrous as it relates to any fitness tracker, any headset, uh, and any media platform that's on the spectrum of flat to immersive. Sarah, we're hustling toward the end of our show, and there was one thing I wanted to discuss with you. Along with uh, my co-host, you and I have been in the industry a long time. We're industry friends, right? We've been seeing each other for eight years now, two or three times a year at different events. Uh, and, and one of them is always CES, where Helium has traditionally had a booth. Are you going to have a booth again this year? We're going to have a presence there. Um, I'm double booked at another event in San Francisco that week. So uh, some of our team will be there and also uh, be in, in San Francisco as but well. But will, will you be exhibiting on the floor? Uh, not on the floor. Yeah. And uh, so 
looking back on all these past CESs, uh, what are you anticipating we're, we're going to be experiencing in Vegas this year? Uh, you ask a, a, a good question. I think a lot of AI, right? Um, uh, you know, uh, from XR uh, combined with AI, um, XR combined with biosensors, um, you know, those are all of the areas that that we're excited about that essentially, you know, make this media easier to consume. Um, you know, we're excited about EEG being baked someday, hopefully, into more earbuds, um, more sensors being baked into goggles uh, to make it easier to, you know, uh, uh, not only see your feelings, but to discover their power. So I will be at CES on the last two days. Would love to connect with, with anyone there. My team will be there all week um, as well. Um, but yeah, have a, a an event in San Francisco that uh, we're on a panel on that, that conflicts. It's actually the biotech showcase. Um, so if you all are in San Francisco um, and are planning to attend that event, uh, definitely check it out. Uh Ted and I will be there for the duration. My back notwithstanding, we may be doing something on Thursday night. I will email you about that. Any listeners, by the way, who uh, want to get together with us, send me an email at cdfink or at thisweekinxr at gmail, and uh, we'll see what we can do about including you in our plans. Yes, uh, we we gatherings at CES, absolutely. Yes, so that's one of the best parts about CES is seeing Sarah and all of our other friends every year. Uh, it seems like kind of at this point, it's. Uh, an inflection point in in our lives and in our year, uh, because so much flows from that. I would add to the. We, by the way, we have Gary Shapiro next week, who is the CEO of CES. Uh, so he'll give us a real thorough rundown because CES is the consumer everything show today. Because electronics have gotten so intimate with us. You mentioned fabric. I, last year there was a fabric booth. It's actually, I believe, a company called Meta. Uh, also, uh, that is is making making fabric with sensors in it. And I think that has absolutely got huge potential, particularly for you know a, a company that's using biometrics and feedback the way helium is. So I, I think we'll see a lot of that. Yes, AI everywhere. We had metaverse everywhere. That's gone now, <laughs> replaced by AI everywhere. Um, and of course, I think the glasses thing that's happening now with with headsets as Screen reflectors, you know, has become a big deal. So many companies coming out with products. I think some of them are, are quite popular. Uh, so I, you're going to see more of it. Yeah, right? there are like six or seven companies that have um, yeah. very low cost uh, extend your smartphone. And I think, yeah. Sarah, that's an interesting field, you know, as you look but, at so many people using smartphone. But yeah, a lot of them do eye tracking and three doffish stuff. Yeah. Uh, so I do think that there's a you know, niche developing there. Uh, hey, could, could I mention real yes. quickly before we, we close out um, the Honor Everywhere program? Honor Everywhere is that free program for veterans that we started many years ago that allows them to virtually visit their memorials. Um, that's now expanded. We've open sourced that software. So you can find it on most any, you know, mental wellness, um, immersive media platform, Behaviour, Penumbra, uh, other partners, Manage XR, Arbor XR, Clean Box Technology, all of you know, marquee brands in in the XR space have come together to share this content. So, if you know an aging or terminally ill World War II veteran, 
a Korea Vietnam veteran who hasn't had the opportunity to see their memorial, tell them about the program that's on uh, all of these companies' uh, headsets now that allow them to, to virtually visit. Um, so just want to put that plug in there. And if you want more information, you can go to honoreverywhere.com or check out any of those in, uh, other uh, VR uh, companies that I mentioned. Uh, Mind VR also has the content um, as well. There are about a dozen different uh, VR companies that have banded together to to share that. Sarah, it has been a pleasure having you on the show, uh, the 173rd show, uh, as well as the first wow. show. So great. Uh, <laughs> uh, we have learned a lot from you. Your professionalism and your poise uh, hopefully has rubbed off on us a little bit. Um, anyway, that's our show. Thank you for coming. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, come back next week. We'll have Gary Shapiro, and we'll talk about CES some more. And Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays, everyone. Enjoy the uh, end of the year. Thank you.